0: Today's reading is Mark, chapter 6, verses 30 through 44. Listen now to the word of the Lord. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them. Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And when he took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces of of the fish, and those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. The word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. Welcome, everyone. I want to wish everyone a happy Father's Day, and it's good to see everyone for our uh, worship this morning. Uh, Please pray with me now. Lord, we thank you uh, for this day that you have made and the opportunity we have once again to come before you together in worship. We thank you today, especially for our fathers and for those who have been like fathers in the faith in our lives. And we are especially mindful that we are your children and that we can call you Father, Abba. And as we were reminded that you are a father who is good, and who is good all the time. Help us now who are in a position of being a father to always look to you for guidance, for wisdom, goodness, strength, and the gentleness that makes us great. Help us now in the hearing of your word to find our ultimate and lasting joy. In Christ's name we pray, amen. This is now the eighth and final sermon that I will be preaching on the series of sermons I've been preaching, which I've entitled Less Fun, More Joy. Jesus promised in John 15, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Over the last two months, we have considered how we might be able to abide in Jesus and so experience this fullness of joy, even during this unprecedented season of heightened tensions and anxiety over pandemic and protests. I've been challenging you to abide in Christ, to abide in his word by memorizing and meditating on the scriptures and to ask for whatever you wish as you abide in Christ, to sit, mourn, and pray in light of what's been happening. Last Sunday, I highlighted the importance of secrecy in our practice of spiritual disciplines, like giving to the needy, praying, and fasting, because there is a reward from our Father, an experience of intimacy that secrecy makes possible that is far greater than any momentary praise that we might receive from the world. Today, I wanna finish up the series of sermons by considering something that is related to secrecy, and that is the topic of solitude. You heard from Mark 6 that Jesus invited his disciples to a time alone, to solitude, to self-quarantine in a desolate place. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. A little background to this reading. In the first several chapters in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus has begun to usher in the kingdom of God, by preaching, healing, and exercising unclean spirits. Then in chapter six, Jesus sends out his disciples, giving them his authority to do the same triple work that he himself had been doing. And the disciples return, having had great success, and tell Jesus all about it. Maybe their success got to their head a little bit, and they find themselves incredibly busy so busy that they don't even have time to have a meal. That's when Jesus invites them to a time and a place of solitude. Mark says that this successful ministry of his disciples brings Jesus to the attention of Herod the Tetrarch, who thinks that maybe Jesus is John the baptizer whom he had murdered on a whim come back to life. In Mark's gospel, the beheading of John is told as a kind of a flashback. But in the parallel passage in Matthew, it's the reason for Jesus's withdrawal into solitude. Matthew 14 reads, and his disciples came and took the body of John and buried it and they went and told Jesus. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. In Mark's telling, it's the success and hyperactivity in ministry which leads Jesus to invite his disciples to a time of solitude. While in Matthew, it is a shock and sorrow over the murder of John, which leads to solitude. Success and sorrow, and perhaps everything in between, are all good reasons for solitude. Certainly, we see this in the life of Jesus. One of the things that I've been struck by in the Gospels is how often Jesus looked for a time of solitude in his ministry. Let me just highlight a few of those cases. First, at the beginning of his ministry, immediately after he was baptized, Mark 1 tells us that the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And it was in the wilderness, 40 days being tempted by Satan. In his baptism, Jesus heard from God as we also hear in our own baptisms, you are my beloved child. And so, in solitude and tempted in the wilderness, Jesus held on to his identity as the Son of God and was able to come out of the wilderness empowered for kingdom work. Two, as Jesus began his kingdom ministry of preaching, healing, and exercising demons, everyone wanted a piece of him. He was so busy that he sometimes told those he healed not to say anything. But according to Luke 5, but now even more the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. It's very easy to lose track of yourself and your mission because of busyness or popularity. Jesus knew all about the temptations of pleasing people or of choosing an unholy path of building an earthly kingdom. But Jesus had enough wisdom to know that he needed time away to be alone with God so that he would not be distracted. Three, shortly after that, according to Luke's gospel, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12 whom he named apostles prior to making one of the most consequential decisions of his life and for the life of the church, Jesus pulled an all nighter alone in prayer. It's good of course, to get advice from friends and family, but it's vital that you spend time alone before God, especially when you have to make life altering decisions Four. In our reading today, as you heard, after success in ministry, Jesus invited his disciples to come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. And in the parallel passage in Matthew 14, after hearing the shocking news about the unjust murder of his friend, John, we're told that Jesus withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. And by the way, desolate place and wilderness are really the same words. It's not something uh, different. Five, then following the feeding of the 5,000, Matthew 14 says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. According to the parallel account in John 6, Jesus was so popular after this miracle that the crowds wanted to take him by force and make him a king. Again, after this incredible success, Jesus needed time alone with God and withdrew again to the mountains to be by himself. And six, finally, just before his crucifixion, Jesus invited a few of his disciples to accompany him to a garden where he went to pray. Matthew 26 tells us, then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. In his most desperate moment, though he was accompanied by his disciples, he took a few steps away from them to seek solitude, a time alone with the Father. As these highlights show, as busy and as popular as Jesus was, he frequently sought solitude and invited his disciples to do the same. And as you can see in this chart, it didn't matter what was going on. He looked for solitude. I know it's not easy to carve out a time for solitude. You have work that takes you long into the night. You have elderly parents to worry about and care for. You have children to feed and homeschool. You have infants who keep you up at night and diapers to change. You have multiple and unavoidable interruptions throughout the day. I know it's difficult, but it's something you and I absolutely need. Even Superman occasionally retreated to his fortress of solitude. You may recall the story of Susanna Wesley, who was the last of 25 children in her family and who had 19 children of her own, including John and Charles you can imagine that she didn't get a lot of alone time. Yet in the craziness of her household, she would sit in the middle of the room and cover herself with her apron to get a little time alone with God, and her children would know to leave her alone for a little bit. Jesus faced more pressures, more expectations, threats and temptations, and was busier than any of us will ever be. But he made time alone with God, a time of solitude, a priority. According to Mark 1.35, Jesus had to get up very early in the morning, while it was still dark, to find time alone in a desolate place. If Jesus, the perfect, sinless Son of God, needed time alone with God in solitude, I think it's safe to say that we need it even more. Perhaps for you, it will mean that you have to get up a little earlier or go to bed a little later. As Susanna Wesley demonstrates, you don't have to go to a desolate place. Perhaps you can find a little time commuting, for those of you who are still doing that. Perhaps you can find some time during a lunch break. Maybe even those few minutes as you're making your morning coffee. Find daily moments, just a few moments if that's all you can find. To get that solitude, to be alone with God, to pray, to ask for wisdom, strength, to open your eyes to the people around you, to meditate upon God's word. Make daily time with God a quiet time, a priority, and a habit. Without it, you will surely get lost and lose yourself. Now, as you can also see in this chart, a time of solitude was a mere pause, a time to rest in God, to recharge, to be reminded of mission and calling, to be strengthened for the kingdom work ahead. A time of solitude in Christ is not a denial and escape from the realities of the world, but a making certain that your foundations are on the solid rock of our Lord Jesus Christ and that you are led and guided by the spirit as you pursue your calling and ministry. As you heard in the reading today, after a time in solitude, Jesus and his disciples go right back to work. And because of that solitude, I think Jesus shows us how to respond better to the world in three important ways. First, according to verse 34, Jesus saw the crowds and had compassion for them. He saw the crowds as sheep without a shepherd. When you are tired, when you are busy, or even when you are enjoying your own success, it's hard to have compassion for others. Richard Fosser, in his book, The Celebration of Discipline, says, the fruit of solitude is increased sensitivity and compassion for others. There comes a new freedom to be with people. There is new attentiveness to their needs, new responsiveness to their hurts. If you can't get time alone to a place of solitude, sometimes just a quick prayer, just closing your eyes to be alone, a spiritual moment that you give to God briefly can make all the difference in how you respond to a challenging person or to a difficult situation. It will help you to respond with an attitude of compassion. Secondly, verse 34 also says that Jesus began to teach them many things. Mark doesn't tell us what those many things were on this particular occasion, but we know that Jesus always revealed the truth about the kingdom of God about God, about himself, and about our condition. He even said, I am the truth. People need many things. They absolutely need compassion, understanding, and to be heard. But they also need to be taught the truth, especially the truth about Jesus Christ. Daniel Aiken, the president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, wrote this back in 2002. Truth is not as easy to find as it once was. Indeed, it was in short supply, especially when we enter the realm of the spiritual. Atheist Richard Rory boldly claims, truth is made, not found. Deceased atheist Michel Foucault said, all truth claims are constructed to serve those in power. Deconstructionist Jacques Derrida says, the author is dead and the text is dead. All meaning is the creation of the readers. Al Mohler says, where truth is denied, only therapy remains. Truth is even in less supply today. We now dispute about basic facts, claiming that those who disagree with our facts are shaped by fake news. In such an environment, it is nearly impossible to make any truth claims, especially about Jesus Christ. Survey after survey now overwhelmingly demonstrate that self-identifying Christians have a limited and confused understanding of who Jesus is, that their beliefs are often based on shifting feelings, political affiliations, flimsy opinions, and unsubstantiated rumors, and bear little resemblance to the historical Jesus as attested to in the scriptures. It is ever more vital for us that we continue to witness to the truth that Jesus is the Christ, the only Son of God, in whom is life and life eternal. And third, in verse 37, Jesus answered them, you give them something to eat. When the disciples wanted to pass on the responsibility of caring for the crowds, Jesus said, you give them something to eat. He lays the burden of feeding the thousands what looked like an impossible task upon his disciples. To those whom we have compassion, it's not enough just to feel bad about it. It's not enough just to preach the truth of Jesus Christ. We must also give them something to eat. As James 2 says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? It's no good. It's a useless kind of faith. So in solitude, we must find ourselves in Jesus Christ and the strength to do what must be done. In solitude, we can gain the compassion and speak the truth and give what is needed. As a church in times of need, you have often inspired me with your generosity born of your compassion and your convictions about Jesus Christ. For example, in responding to the current pandemic in compassion in the name of Jesus Christ, you aided local food ministries and sent monies overseas so that our mission partners can acquire additional foods for their people. I thank God that we are able to give our neighbors something to eat and hope that we will be able to continue our engagement with food security with our neighbors, our neighborhoods, and the world. Similarly, we also want to respond to the racism which recent protests have highlighted with the same compassion, truth, and giving. I know that this is a far more complex and politically charged issue, and that our response will not be as simple or as straightforward as our response to the pandemic in providing food. But I'm thankful that many of you have started those discussions, especially those of you who joined the adult education class last Sunday, to begin to share your experiences and thoughts and to consider what we might do individually and, as a church. I know that no one would support racism, but I think for most of us over the years, we've had the luxury of not paying it very much attention. But now, as difficult as it may be, we can be thankful that we have an opportunity to more fully participate in the work toward justice and equality. I hope this work is not just a one-time project because it happens to be trending right now, but that this work becomes a part of our church DNA and that we have an ongoing and sustained engagement in regard to anti-racism, much like we have with our mission partners. In light of the enormity and complexity of the issues and problems we face now and all of the other problems that we have put on the back burners, ISIS, the Syrian refugees, North Korea, the opioid crisis, climate change, gender inequality, just to mention a few, and all of the unforeseen crises, which we have not even imagined about that are yet to come, what we have to give may seem minuscule, like a few fish and a few loaves. But as a people of faith, we are called to give and to trust God to multiply to meet the needs of his people. God does not demand of us what we cannot give, what we do not have, only the faithful exercise and stewardship of what has been entrusted to us. So I encourage all of you to give something, whatever that may be, with compassion and conviction. Let me close with a couple of final brief reflections. The other day, I heard an interview with Michael Osterholm, who is an epidemiologist at the University of Minnesota. He suggested that we stop using the phrase social distancing and instead use the phrase physical distancing. He commented that though we need to keep our physical distance from one another because of the virus, we need social intimacy more than ever. It's true, isn't it? We don't want to increase the social distance between us because of the physical distance that we need to keep. Just the opposite. In this time where we have to keep our physical distance, we want to reduce the sense of social distancing and to draw closer to God and toward one another. It's been my hope and prayer that you've been able to experience greater intimacy with God and with one another during the season of quarantine and physical distancing. So two closing thoughts. One. I want to remind you that solitude is not loneliness. Solitude is not loneliness. Jesus as he approached the time of his death and knowing that his disciples would all abandon him? He said, behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each of you to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. The Father is with me. And Jesus promised after his resurrection in his last words to his disciples, even to the end of the age, I am with you. In solitude, you are not alone. You are alone with God. The spatial and temporal separation that you have with God and with the times of Jesus does not mean you are socially or spiritually distant in solitude. Just the opposite. As Richard Foster has written, loneliness is inner emptiness, solitude is inner fulfillment. I hope in your abidance in Christ, you are experiencing and discovering that truth. And secondly, I hope that because of the imposed physical separation, you have found that you are engaging more socially, not less, but more socially with others. Personally, I've been thankful that I can drop in on many of the FGs to spend some time with you to have some more social interactions, even though it's virtual. I'm also thankful that over the last few weeks, I found myself in the company of those that I had not previously walked with. The pandemic and the protests have given me opportunities that I might have ignored for social interaction in ordinary times. For example, I recently started participating in an interfaith clergy group in New Brunswick. And soon we'll be meeting with staff members of the mayor's office in New Brunswick as well, along with the leaders of various social services groups. I'm having deeper conversations with new and old colleagues about how we as a church and myself personally might support and share in the work for the common good of the city and especially that of New Brunswick. These are social interactions made possible by the physical distancing imposed on us. I know that others of you are also experiencing more opportunities for social engagements, and I would encourage you to continue to do more of it. I believe that in this time of solitude, God is giving our church new opportunities to do his kingdom work to do justice, to love mercy that is the unchanging faithfulness of God and to walk humbly with our God. I invite you this week and in the weeks ahead to seek solitude, a time alone with God. And in that solitude, may God give you renewed compassion, renewed conviction about the truth of Jesus Christ and guidance, and concrete action to give something. Let's pray together. Gracious God, as we have sat and mourned and prayed and fasted, as we have rejoiced in meditating upon your word, as we have celebrated the good work that we have been able to participate in, help us now in our solitude in our abiding in you give us increased compassion for the people in our midst. Give us strengthened convictions about Jesus Christ for whom alone we look for our salvation and give us the faith and the courage to give something. Let our solitude lead us to deeper service for your glory and the glory of your name. Now we pray the prayer Jesus taught us. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation,